I'm, I'm speaking on the, the theme of cleansing the temple. I'm going to do part one now and part two um, whenever, after lunch, I guess, is the, is the plan. Um, so let's turn together in our Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Mark. And um, we'll go Mark chapter 11. And we're going to read, just to set the scene, a story many of you will be familiar with. Perhaps if you're here as a new believer, this is a story that you won't know. But many of you uh, will be familiar with this story. And it will provide, I won't necessarily be expounding this passage, particularly over these two sessions, but it provides the backdrop, it provides the, the, the background idea of what we're looking at when we're thinking about cleansing the temple today. So Mark chapter 11 uh, and verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem... And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd were astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And Lord, we just want to thank you and bless you for the joy of being together. And already, Lord, just being under the truth, sung, preached, shared. Already, Lord, our hearts are filling up. Already, Lord, our minds are feeling sharper and clearer. Lord, already we're encouraged. We just thank you for all that you're doing over this day. And we just pray for the continual work of your spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We pray, Lord, that you would own all that we do. Help us, Lord, to do what we do in such a way that you will be glad to own it. Do amazing and supernatural things. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we were instructed earlier, we bring before you that name above all names, Father. And we say, would you do amazing and incredible things among us? Would you take words and stories and scriptures that we are familiar with and would you revolutionize our lives again? Come on, Lord, we pray. Let our faith grow. Let there be expectation in the room, Lord. Not just not hype and noise, but expectation, Lord, that we have gathered in your name. You are here with us and you do things that we could never do ourselves. So we pray for that kind of activity in this room in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be thinking about holiness over this, over this day and over my two sessions. The whole idea of cleansing the temple brings to mind, obviously, the idea of uh, holiness. Short testimony. Last time I was here three years ago, the following night I got desperately ill and was ill for about two or three weeks. I've never been ill quite like it. It turned out not to be anything serious, but I was in a bad way. And about two days into that illness, I sensed not only an illness, but the hand of God closing in on me in loving but firm conviction. And I felt I was being cornered by God. Here's the backdrop. A few months before that, I'd had the same dream twice. And uh, soon, exactly the same dream twice. And as soon as I'd had it both times, I... I knew this wasn't just from, you know, my own mind. I knew it was from the Lord. And I knew what it was about. And it was about God just in love and kindness closing in on me and warning me about the way I was living 
in terms of the pace that I was living at and that I was not taking rest seriously um, and that it wasn't going to go well. The second time I had the dream, I felt, I felt the fear of God in it. And I, so I, I, I gathered um, local leaders, uh, RM leaders, round to my house for an evening and said, look, this is, ha- this is what's happened. Um, I need to make some changes. Um, this isn't good. And here's, here's what I want to do and laid out, you know, just some thoughts and plans. They all green-lighted it. They all affirmed it. They all said, yeah, we, this is great. We give you total permission. Nothing changed. Nothing changed because I... I didn't make any changes. And then um, this illness came in on me and the hand of God closed in on me and I just knew within about 24 hours of this that this was more than just that. The Lord Lord was using this to say, you need to really wake up here. And uh, you'll be glad to know that um, genuine deep repentance followed and uh, yeah, uh, you know, sorted sorted things out since then. Um, But actually at the heart of this, was in me a few things that were dark. There was the fear of man, not wanting to say no to people. That I just didn't, I, I, for me, saying no to people that asked me to come and do something for them felt unbearable. And I, it was an idolatry thing and I hadn't dealt with it in my heart. And so there was that. There was also, I quite liked being the busy, sacrificial guy. You know, I, quite, I took delight in you know, I hoped someone would ask me what I've been up to so I could just spell out just how much I've been up to for the Lord. It sounded very holy. It wasn't at all. I'm sure, you know, there was, there was, it wasn't all bad. But there were these things there that I wasn't addressing and I wasn't dealing with. And God in his kindness, he's a loving father who loves us and receives us in Jesus just as we are. Amen. But loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. Amen. Slightly quieter, amen, for that one. It's always the way. It's always the way. Both are equally true. Both are equally true. And so I wanted to share a little bit of a personal testament to start. Number one, because it was very close to this event three years ago, the first one. So it felt very relevant. But number two, it feeds really well into what we're going to be talking about and thinking about today. What is holiness? What is holiness? It means to be set apart. And first and foremost, I want us to just spend a few moments on the fact that what it means that God is holy. It means in our increasingly egalitarian, level, flat society, there's a danger that we bring God down to that and we lose the sense of his majesty and grandeur. Yes, Jesus may well be our friend, but he's not our buddy. He's the king. He's the king. And in, an, in, an, in a society that increasingly wants to do away with all hierarchy, something that can go wrong there is that you could lose a sense of the majesty of God and the wonder of God and that there's an order and that he is first in all things and that he is high above and that he's no man's debtor and that he's accountable to no one and that he does whatever he likes in the host of heaven And with the inhabitants of the earth. He's got total freedom and total sovereignty. And he's totally perfect and totally holy. And so set apart that that the beings who dwell in his very presence, these seraphim, these, these, um, these fiery ones, these flaming ones, who if we were to see them, we would probably be tempted to fall apart. They cover their faces in his presence because of his holiness. 
That's who he is. And, and, and him coming close to us in Christ and drawing us into his presence has compromised none of that. It's the wonder of the gospel that he's able to draw us right in and yet at the whole time compromise nothing of his holiness. He is completely set apart. That's what it means. That's what it means. And so what is personal holiness on our part then? Personal holiness on our part is living with a powerful sense of being set apart by God and for God. That God has set me apart for himself. Perhaps the most simple scripture to sum it up is this, to live is Christ. That, that for me is one of my plumb line scriptures. It always brings me back. To live is Christ. I've been set apart by him for him. And so personal holiness is living, you live with a powerful sense of that in your mind, in your heart, in your, in your will, in your decisions, because you know something has happened through faith in the gospel whereby something revolutionary has happened to us. I'm going to unpack it today as we go through. I do think, I got saved at Stonely Bible Week. Anyone remember Stonely Bible Week? <laughs> Stonely Bible Week was a, a big, huge New Frontiers event. I got saved at the very first one, 1991, as an idiotic 18-year-old. I turned up there, I had a bandana around my head, and uh, thinking I was very cool, totally lost. Jesus saved me. And um, so all I've ever really known as a believer is New Frontiers. And so that means I am really, really well grounded in the grace of God. Because one of our big contributions to the wider body of Christ, you know, God uses all different movements and streams and churches to contribute things into his whole body. One of the big things, themes for us has been the grace of God. Amen. It's an amazing sense of the favor of God, the, God, the smile of God over us before we've done anything simply through the perfection of Jesus Christ. And that we live out of that place and we don't spend our life under a burden of trying to, get, trying to kind of make God happy because he's not happy with us. No, we want to make God happy, but we live from that place of knowing in Christ he is completely delighted in us also. The wonder of that, the power of that, the life-changing energy that that brings to us. So I understand grace, but I think actually that some of us, maybe many of us, struggle to know how to incorporate seriously, personal holiness into a framework of grace. How do those two things work together? We don't want to lose this amazing discovery of the free favour of God. If we focus on holiness, won't that make us kind of somehow focused in on ourselves? Won't we lose the joy? Won't we, won't we just become kind of intense, kind of um, super serious? The kind of people no one wants to talk to at a party. You know, won't, won't, won't that do that to us? Won't we become weird? And there are these themes and ideas that can move around our head. And it can cause us not to engage with this subject in the way that we should. And I want to unpack today... How the gospel of grace leads us into holiness. To help us understand, I, I want to, in this, particularly in this first session, just look, help you weave it together biblically so you can see how it works, so we can engage with this in a way that is fruitful and positive and filled with faith. I'm going to focus in this session particularly on the fact that we ourselves are called temples of the Holy Spirit as individuals. 
And in the next session on the fact that we are called living stones in the temple. The Bible does both. Meaning that the Holy Spirit dwells in us bodily. Did you realize that? Just look around this room. Inside, in, in, in our bodies, the Holy Spirit is dwelling. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a phenomenal thought. That's why it matters what we do with our bodies. Why? Because our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you get the revelation of that, it's absolutely mind-blowing. But we're also stones in this temple, which means the way we relate to one another has got huge implications for the glory of God and the newness of God and the power of God among us. So I'll be focusing in this session a bit more on kind of personal holiness and second session kind of how relational holiness, how we deal with one another and the impact of that for the gospel and particularly in the matter of prayer. So I'll be building on what Vlad has laid earlier this morning. And I also wonder this. I, 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 I'm not gonna, what I'm about to say, I'm not saying I've definitely heard God, but if you were to say to me, do, hand on heart, Steph, do you think the Lord is, something is stirring in this nation? Do you think that something is stirring around the move of God? I would say yes. And I'm not sure I would have been able to say that up till now. I would have always wanted it, but I think there's a growing conviction in my heart for a move of God in this nation. And while that doesn't make while that doesn't mean it's therefore, if that is true, it doesn't make it more important that we're holy, because that's not why you live holy. You live holy for the glory of God, which is always the same. Nevertheless, throughout Scripture, you find that God will do something in people to prepare them for a visitation. The most obvious case in point would be John the Baptist. It's a ministry that prepares the way for the Lord. You know, and John the Baptist obviously was calling people to repentance and holiness, and it was, a, it was a preparation. And I think that if God is going to move in our nation, one of the key things you want in place is a church that is genuinely, authentically, deeply walking with the Lord. It's absolutely key to be able to steward the harvest and make disciples. A church that is up for it. A church that as Vladis said earlier, there's one page and God's on it and nothing else goes on that page. That's number one. Not just if you're a pastor, not just if you're a missionary. No, no, no. That's number one if you're a believer. Okay? That's just being a disciple. It's Jesus. Jesus and nothing. It's Jesus. Okay? After that, there's plenty of good things he gives us that we enjoy for his glory, but nothing else goes on that page. And it's beautiful because it simplifies your life. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. It's stressful trying to do Jesus and. It's really stressful and exhausting. And you end up, what did Jesus say? You end up hating one and you hate because it's getting in the way. Jesus will get in the way. You know that Jesus will get in the way. He will not share the throne with anyone. So let me help you understand, how does holiness work within grace-filled, joy-filled Christianity? How does that work? Well, number one, I want to say this. It's an identity issue. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 together. Let's turn in our Bibles. You used to hear rustling in the old days. Now there's silence. Everyone's just pressing buttons. And everyone loves it because when you go to the minor prophets, it's like, I can find them now. 
<laughs> Instead of rustling for Haggai for like 10 minutes, it's like, oh, I'm just there. And it doesn't mean you're any more biblically literate, all right? You just got technology. So don't, don't feel too smug about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. Saints means holy ones. And so, and so the, the Bible teaches us that through the gospel, we have, and we know this stuff, but I want to show you what it means and how it blends and how we understand it, that through being born again, we are no longer what we were. Can I hear an amen? Okay, you're not fundamentally what you were with some kind of, with some righteous stuff sprinkled on top. You have been changed from the inside out. You've got a brand new heart. Okay, instead of a heart of stone, it's now a heart of flesh. Now you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You're not who you were. Hallelujah. Okay, you're, you're brand new. Well, who are you? You're a holy one. You're a holy one, which means this. If you're not living holy, you're not living true to who you are. If you're not living in a set-apart way, you are living out of kilter with your very God-given, gospel-empowered identity. Who wants to live in that space? Who wants to live there? It's horrible. Someone who is truly born again can never walk in uh, deliberate, sinful patterns, whether that's sin, sins of commission, things we do we shouldn't, or sins of omission, things we don't do, that we should can never walk in those patterns happily. Why? Because they are cutting against the very identity that God has given them as saints. You are, he has made you holy. So, so live out who you really are. And when you live out who you really are, there's an integrity to it. It holds together. It's not adding things in and hoping it, kind of, hoping it looks convincing. You're living out of the center of who you truly are, and it holds together. You can be a whole person. You're not, putting, you're not this person there and that person there. And Hallelujah. There's the, the, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. God's given you a holy heart, a heart that desires to know him better, to be righteous, to be pure. And so out of that, when you, when you embrace that, there's an overflow out and uh, the water that comes out is pure. Amen. Do you believe this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> it's so important in moments like this that you hear the word of God and you mix it with faith. That you don't immediately kind of turn towards your experience or where you think you got it wrong and start going, but how, that you, no, you say, no, Lord, Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to engage with the truth and believe it. Absolutely key. Listening to a sermon is as active as preaching one. Did you know that? Listen, Nikki did. Listening to a sermon is as active. I'm going to try and throw you a good ball this morning. You've got a part to play in catching it. So it's an identity issue, knowing who you are. Secondly, it's a fruitfulness issue. Listen, come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. This is a fascinating verse. Because we can caricature things. Well, yeah, I'm saved by grace, so that kind of, it doesn't really matter vibe. You know, that sort of thing. We're saved by grace, so, and we can jump to the wrong conclusions. Listen to what Paul says to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 21. 
Some of you are old school. I'm hearing some flicking going on. Some of you are old school here. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is honorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. Listen to this. Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You hear that? Holiness is a fruitfulness issue. It's not, it's not enough to say, well, yeah, Jesus died for me, so we're just going to be fruitful. Jesus said, no, abide in me. Well, okay, great. What does abide in me mean? Well, this is part of what it means to abide in Jesus. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, that idea of that which is common, that which is not holy, that which is just kind of part of the, the common way of thinking, the common way of doing things, that which gives no regard to God and his glory and, and spiritual truth. But it's just, it's just what everyone, the way everyone else thinks, the way everyone else talks. Paul says, if you will cleanse yourself from that, which means there's something active for you to do. God won't do that for you. What? But I thought we were under grace. Yes, but grace does not equal you being passive. Grace equals you embracing by faith what God has done and, and, and living out in faith of all that he's accomplished for you in Jesus. So it was a cleansing ourselves from what's dishonorable. Then the, Paul says to him, set apart as holy, you will be useful to the master. What's the implication if you do not cleanse yourself from dishonorable things? There's an implication there. There'll be usefulness issues. You won't be ready. You'll be dulled. You'll be dulled. Your spirit will be dulled by the dishonorable things. You won't be ready. You'll be sleeping. There's parables, isn't there, about people who are caught sleeping. Spiritual stupor. And this is, I know this is a strong word, but, you know, I just feel, I'm prob- I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm sort of at a point where I'm thinking, I think in this last season... I know numbers of people who have left the faith. And I think that there's certain tenets of Western Christianity that are just being massively exposed right now. And a lot of it centers on whatever you want to call it, the sovereignty of self or meism. Different people use different phrases. But this idea that essentially Jesus is around to make my life better. That's not the story. That's not the message. The message is we get caught up in a story much bigger than ourselves, so glorious that we are willing to die to ourselves in order to be fruitful for Jesus. And so to just allow things in our lives that are dishonorable and are just common, it's just the way everyone else does it, it's not okay. It's not okay. The Lord has got better for you than that. It's not that he's wanting to spoil the fun. That stuff is no fun. (laughs) He's got the good stuff for us. So it's not just about identity. It's also about usefulness in the kingdom. Fruitfulness, whatever phrase we want to use. a fruitfulness issue. Let me tell you this. The Spirit of God can empower an undivided heart. I don't know if the Spirit of God knows what to do with a divided heart. When you ask the Holy Spirit to empower you for something, but you know you're still opening the door to the other stuff, I don't know if the Holy Spirit knows what to do in that moment. Obviously, he does. He's omniscient, but you know what I'm saying. I don't know if he's got... I, I think the Holy Spirit will empower a heart that says, I'm all in. Because he honors our decision-making, doesn't he? He honors, he honors that sense of choice. Choose life. 
So this is a, these are strong words that I think we really need to reckon with. Not only is it an identity issue, a fruitfulness issue, it's a relational issue. Let's go to Ephesians 4 together. Ephesians 4 verse 30. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. That, that, that means that it's basically, he, he is the seal that guarantees our redemption. Right? And Paul says, make sure you don't grieve him. Make sure you don't grieve him. I was given a choice to be a Christian when I was age 15. My, uh, my mum's a believer. My dad isn't. They divorced when I was very young. I was brought up. Um, and then my mum, stepdad divorced when I was 12. Brought up um, from, from my mum mostly from, from that age onwards. And uh, part of a church because she was. And then one day the youth leader said to me, Steph, what are you going to do? You're around, but you're not really following Jesus. That great youth leader moment. If you're a youth leader... Those moments matter. They're hard, but they matter. And he'd driven me back from youth group, and we were parked outside my house. So I lived in a council estate right on the edge of southeast London, and all my mates from the estate were outside the car. And I thought to myself, what would they think if I go for this? What would they think? And the other thing was this. By that point, I was trapped in my own head in impure, just sexual stuff, just trapped and could, found, could, couldn't set, find, didn't know what of a way out, just felt totally trapped. And those two things in my head, what will they think? And I said, no, can't do it. Made a decision not to. Stopped going to church, went my own way. Uh, my mum being shrewd, Offered to pay for me to go to Stonely Bible Week. I was a barman on about two pounds an hour, and uh, it was a free holiday. And um, so I went along. Had no thought of becoming a Christian at all. In fact, I wasn't threatened by it. I liked Christians, but didn't think, wow, they've got something I haven't, but I thought they were nice. And I was joking about becoming a Christian on the way up and came back born again. <laughs> ambushed, by, yeah, ambushed by Jesus. Let's give him the clap because he's wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Just ambushed, ambushed completely by Jesus. Because he loved me. And he loves you. And we can injure him by messing around with stuff that he hates and is no good for us. We can injure him, we can grieve him, we can hurt him. By the decisions that we make, we can give the Holy Spirit a happy time inside of us or not. And I found the grace of God so wonderful to me. I, I, I went home and I just told my friends all about, I've come to know Jesus. <laughs> and they thought it was the strangest thing ever. They laughed at me and I didn't care. In fact, the funny thing was, part of this thing was fear of man. On this Stonely Bible week, before I gave my life to Jesus, I went on the outreach. 
So he did an outreach coach. I went, okay, I'll go on the outreach. And I'm out there doing evangelism. <laughs> Not saved yet. But what's, what God is doing, he's saying, I can release you from the fear of man. Look, you're not scared. And I told my friends, they all laughed at me. I didn't care. Oh, this is amazing. And then God gave power for the other thing. Power to walk out of it. Some people say, oh, you, you just can't. Everyone's so enslaved. God gave me power to walk out of it. Okay? Jesus gave me power to walk out of it. It's no longer that chain has gone. Okay? Still face temptation. Of course I do. I'm a human and all that. But I am no longer enslaved to that. Why? Because of the power of Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing the point because I think on this issue, faith has drained away in a lot of the church. I want to tell you that Jesus will give you the power to overcome it. I want to tell you that. I want to tell you it. I want to represent him in that name and say he will. He will. He would not call you to be holy and then not empower you to be so. What sort of God would do that? Come on, let's be, God says in the Bible, let's reason together. Let's reason together. What sort of God would call you to be holy and then not provide the power for you to live a holy life? What sort of God would do that? Not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought I might hear an amen after I said that. We are, not, we are not spiritual punching bags. Okay? We've got to stop letting the enemy just kick us around from pillar to post. The Bible says in all these things we face, distress, trouble, sword, nakedness, peril, danger, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We will come out with scars. We will come out with cuts. We will come out with bruises. We will take blows, but we will win. Because Jesus always wins. Amen? Yeah. Okay? So we win. That's what we do. Why? Because we're joined to him and he's the winner. Okay? It's a fight. It's a scrap. But you hold the line. Why? Because the victory belongs to the Lord. So you stand and he gives it. All right? And we don't just live alone. We're just going to grieve the Holy Spirit. No. No. You've been sealed by him for the day of redemption. We're going to honor the Holy Spirit. Am I right? We want the Holy Spirit to have a happy time living inside of me. He's a person. He's a person. If I go down that road, I'm grieving him. If I go down that road, he's rejoicing. That's what I want. It's good, isn't it? Not only is it a relational issue, it's a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. So it's a gospel issue, living a whole life. In what sense? The Bible says that you have been crucified with Christ and buried with him through baptism and raised up into newness of life. This gospel, this gospel of what Christ has done for you through faith, you've been united with him so that what is true of him becomes true of you. And so you live in newness of life. Now, of course, we're always we're battling fleshly desires. We're surrounded by a world that's trying to seduce us away. The enemy's on us. We've got weaknesses. We live with indwelling sin. If anyone has, says he doesn't have sin, he's a liar. Yes, we've got sin. But 
Hallelujah, by the power of the gospel. Because we are under grace, the Bible doesn't say because you're under grace, it doesn't matter if you sin. It says because you're under grace, you don't have to sin. That's what the Bible says, Romans 6. Because you are under grace, sin shall not be your master. Because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Romans 6. So any teaching on grace is because I'm under grace, it doesn't matter if I sin. It's not biblical teaching. Because we're under grace, sin shall not be our master. It's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. And then finally, it's a warfare issue. It's a warfare issue. Ephesians 4 verse 27. You shouldn't hear any flicking of pages because it's on the same page. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no place to the devil. Believers can, through their disobedience, through their unwillingness to obey what God tells them to do, give a place to the devil in their lives. I was on holiday. Um, someone, with a, a family member, not my wife, um, but a family member a few months ago, and they did something that really got to me, really, really bothered me. And I gave in to sinful anger in my heart. Just gave in to it. You know, I just, I just did. The speed at which it was like juggernauts of negativity flowing into my... It was oppressive and awful. The juggernauts of negativity flowing into my mind and heart. I thought, what have I done? It's utterly disorientating. And I realized what I'd done. Okay, In the moment where I knew that I needed to forgive. I didn't. In that moment, I opened the door to the devil. Okay? Can't just come in. I opened the door. And before long, I was in a state. We have to wake up to our personal responsibility to obey the Lord. Because it's not a game. It's war. Okay? And it works on certain principles. And if you disobey the Lord, knowingly and willingly, you are from that point onwards in a very vulnerable position. Okay? Okay? So we have to deal with it straight. As soon as I saw it, it's like, Lord. I knew it when I did it. Okay? But then the consequences woke me up. Quickly, shut that door. I just want to say, I'm sorry, I should have forgiven you. Please forgive me. You know, quick, quick. Do not let the sun go down. If you've been trapped by the words of your mouth, don't give yourself any sleep. I've got stories, stories upon stories about that, you know, where you just know it's so easy to put this off. No, quick, pick up the phone, quick, go. This stuff is real. So you've got to abide by the rules of the war. You've got to abide by the rules. You can't make your own rules up. This is a bigger thing than just what, how you want it to work. <laughs> yeah. so you've got to abide by the rules. Rules of warfare. We've got here, don't let the sun go down on your anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Talk more about that when you come to relationships in session two. A quick word before we respond. To those of you with tender consciences, some of you, you feel guilty enough as it is and you've done nothing wrong. And now this sermon's made it 10 times worse. 
I understand. We're all put together differently. Let me just help you quickly, very quickly, differentiate between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the accusation of the enemy. The accusation of the enemy always has some truth in it, or it would never be powerful. Okay, you would just shake it off. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is deeply true. Just deeply, wonderfully, fully true. The accusation of the enemy leads to despair. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is full of hope. The accusation of the enemy gives you no clear way through. The conviction of the Holy Spirit leads you to clear repentance. The accusation of the enemy is destructive. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is redemptive. The accusation of the enemy is hateful. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is essentially kind. If you don't listen, he might get a bit severe. Okay? If you don't listen, if you listen, it's all kindness. <laughs> so if you're here and you're just thinking, oh no, where is me? And you know, I'm the worst person in the world and all of that. Okay, that's not what this sermon's about. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting you clearly of things, I am asking you, I am calling on you to take action. To take this seriously, to wake up, to get ready, so we can serve the purposes of God in our generation. Yeah, so we're not caught napping. So that we're we're sharp, we're spiritually alert, we're good to go. Okay? There'll be different seasons, different seasons. You manifest it in different ways. God understands all of that. He knows about life. He leads, the, he leads those who have young gently. He knows about all of that. This is, but this is about posture, position, mindset, heart. We know what we're about, and we're going to take this really, really seriously. Like I said earlier, we all have sin. James says we all stumble in many ways. Okay, We're all tempted. We all have fleshly desires. I'm not speaking, preaching some kind of weird kind of non-human existence. Okay, I'm talking about a position of seriousness in terms of the pursuit of holiness. I have been set apart by God and set apart for God to live as Christ. Hallelujah. That's what I am talking about.